Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and today, the legacy of Bob Dole and what his career and the reactions to his death mean for the evolution of American politics. For Americans of a certain age, basically age 35 and over, Bob Dole was an avatar of the Republican Party. And he went through a transition over the course of a decade after his losing presidential campaign in 1996 from taciturn, gruff politician known as Dr. Gridlock to a much more genial and vulnerable public image on late night TV as a spokesperson for World War II veterans and for sufferers of erectile dysfunction as a pitch man for Viagra. In the wake of his death, analysts focused on that later image and mourned the passing not only of the man, but of a seemingly different and better kind of American politics. But our guest today was one of the few to have the guts to point out that Bob Dole's record was far more complex. And maybe the nostalgia that his death prompted about the way things used to be in politics isn't quite right either. Dr. Eric Loomis is Associate Professor of History at the University of Rhode Island. His most recent book is A History of America in 10 Strikes, published by the New Press in 2018. He also writes for the editorial board, an outstanding publication. And his most recent article is titled The Mean Old Man of the GOP is Dead. Eric, welcome to Beyond Politics and congratulations on pulling no punches, man. Oh, well, thank you. Somebody has to do it. Well, look, we're all used in this day and age to clickbaity type articles that are, that are intentionally provocative to try and draw you in. And there's not a lot of substance there. I want to just say right up front, because I, I really hope that our listeners will check out the article, search for the editorial board, search for Eric Loomis. It's Eric with a K. And I, I really think this is a worthwhile read. This is not clickbait. This is, you are a history professor. This is a, a nuanced and thoughtful look at the complicated history of someone who played a very significant role in American politics and in the history of the last 50 years and really leaves a complex legacy. So I, I just want to quote from right up front in your article. And what you say is, let's be very clear up front here. Bob Dole was not a nice man. He was never a nice man. Just because he was the last World War II veteran to win the nomination to the presidency at the same time that boomers were dealing with their parental issues through the ahistorical and frankly absurd greatest generation nostalgia does not mean he was a nice man in 1996. Is that sort of the touchstone for, for the point you're trying to make or, or what's sort of the take home that, that you were driving at and why you felt like you needed to write this piece? Right. You know, there, there are worse people out there uh, in terms of the history of American politics than Bob Dole. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, he has, again, a complex legacy. But I, I think that we are at a point right now um, where particularly liberals are, are suffering from a lot of nostalgia about a political world in which they think of as simpler where, uh, you know, where there's, uh, you know, bipartisan consensus about various issues where people are not, you know, attempting coups when they lose, uh, when the world seems a little simpler. But, but, that, but that's not Bob Dole, right? I mean, that Bob Dole is, was a person who was a very conservative politician uh, and who moved the nation toward its present position quite significantly as an advisor to Richard Nixon, as Senate Majority Leader, uh, as presidential candidate, and as uh, and in his post uh, presidential uh, period, where he became an enormous supporter of Donald Trump. 
Um, and, and I think that it's uh, deeply problematic. We see this repeatedly uh, in recent years when older, seemingly more moderate Republican figures die. There's this outpouring of not conservative nostalgia, but liberal nostalgia, um, where we saw this with John McCain. Uh, we saw this recently with Colin Powell. Uh, and now we're seeing it with Bob Dole. And, and I think it's generational. And I also think it's a, a desire for a different politics that, that simply don't exist today. Well, I, I can sort of understand the impulse. I feel it myself. I, from, I can definitely say from my own Capitol Hill career, which was not that long ago, that things are definitely worse now. And so there's, there's an impulse that I feel to say, therefore, it's it, logically, things were better in the past I think that can be true. And at the same point, it just struck me in reading your article that you're offering a necessary and very valuable corrective here to kind of overtilt on that feeling and to and to and to really just reimagine the history of politics in the last 30 to 50 years. Right. I mean, how we got to this point today, because I agree, I mean, things did used to be better um, in terms of our political world. But how we got to this point is important, right? Donald Trump didn't parachute out of nowhere. The ground was laid for decades to get to that point. And who laid that groundwork more than almost anybody else was Bob Dole, right? Bob Dole is a figure who moved us significantly in this direction. And, and I think that that is, uh, and especially because he's often compared favorably to his House counterpart in the Clinton years, Newt Gingrich, who, of course, you know, is, is a monstrous individual who has even more responsibility for this. Dole comes off looking pretty good. And, but, but the reality is, is, that, is that where we are today is, in no small part, the responsibility of Bob Dole. That is so interesting. You know, it does remind me a little bit of the old joke of two guys who are out in the woods and they see a bear and, you know, one guy starts running away and the other one says, hey, man, you can't outrun a bear. And the first guy is like, I don't have to outrun the bear. I have to outrun you. And I think that is the effect that we're kind of all going through now, which is compared to Donald Trump, all these people are saints. They all seem, you know, but to some degree, we are living in the political world that that generation of politicians created. They sort of created the conditions that Donald Trump walked into. Now, I, I just, I do want to get one caveat in, and I do want to get quickly to the period of, of political career that most Americans remember, which is kind of that mid nineties period. I, I do want to hit some of the prior history from, from your article first. Let me just say right up front, and I want to be very clear about this. You are not attacking Bob Dole's military service and you are uh, very uh, upfront about that in the article. You write that whatever you want to say about his political career, no one can critique the, man, critique, sorry, the man's toughness and determination in coming back from injuries that would have destroyed the lives of many men, even if they survived. And so you acknowledge upfront the nobility of his veteran status and his service and his toughness and determination, and you honor that. But you kind of offer this, this contrast in his background to the, the later reputation that he developed. So let's, let's just step back for a moment here. You say that when, when Bob Dole first ran for the US Senate, we're going back to the 1960s here, he was seen as a hardline conservative because he was a hardline conservative. So in that period, is, is, that, is that really where he was as position compared to the overall Republican party? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you have to think that politics in the late 1960s 
uh, in part of the reason that they're different today is that the parties haven't had this this switch yet over civil rights and the backlash to it, right? So you had, you know, you had very conservative uh, Democrats, you know, the Dixiecrats, um, and then you had quite liberal Democrats. It, with the Republicans, you know, you had a kind of very conservative Republicans that would look a little bit more like today, but there was still a number of quite liberal Republicans out there. Um, and so, you know, Dole is is within the Republican Party a quite conservative figure uh, from the very beginning, right? That there's no sense that he is one of these He's one of these people who's going to work with like Lowell Weicker of Connecticut, for instance, who is a genuinely liberal Republican uh, and a longtime senator. So, uh, you know, yeah, he's absolutely uh, quite, quite conservative for 1968. And, you know, it's in part for that reason that he becomes so close to Richard Nixon. Um, you know, even as a junior senator, uh, he is quite close to Nixon um, and, uh, you know, becomes chairman of the Republican National Committee in 1971 based around th those politics and that that relationship with the president. Well, and you point out during and this is sort of a forgotten phase in his career and largely in American history, because we have so blown past, again, this effect of like, well, it's it's worse now. So therefore, things must have therefore been better earlier. We've blown so far past Watergate in recent years that it makes it seem like the crimes of Watergate were, were kind of quaint and, and almost cute. But so we forget now that Bob Dole did not exactly cover himself in glory during the Watergate period. No, Dole absolutely supported a cover-up of Watergate, right? He he actively opposed uh, television hearings about Watergate. Uh, he was with Nixon all the way till the end. After many, many other senators, in including many conservatives, had said, you know, Nixon, it's time for you to resign, Dole was there. I mean, Dole, you know, Dole's actual suggestion to Nixon uh, was that he attack Walter Cronkite as an out-of-touch elite. Uh, and, uh, you know, which is a very Trumpian kind of strategy to attack the media. Uh, and, you know, Nixon's other advisors even, you know, we're not talking about great people here like Bob Haldeman or, or John Ehrlichman or these others. Uh, we're like, no, 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 we, we can't attack Walter Cronkite. But that's Dole's strategy is to paint the elite, I mean, excuse me, to paint the media as this out-of-touch elite. And, and that's a, a, a sign of things to come uh, as Dole's brand of the Republican Party becomes more dominant over the years. I feel like I'm about to ape the Bill Simmons podcast here because he has this trope where he's constantly asking, did so-and-so invent such and such? And it, I, I, at the risk of falling into that verbal trap, it does come up in your article time after time that these patterns that we see nowadays in our politics and that we think are so divisive, destructive, and awful, it feels like Bob Dole invented them or elevated them. And so you just noted the, let's paint the media as the out of touch elitists. Well, that is sort of the raison d'etre of the Republican party today, right? That's, that's Donald Trump's whole thing. It also seems like he, it, it, during the Watergate run up, he sort of invented this idea of anyone else. It's, it's, it, anyone else would have said, well, this is unsurvivable. There, there, there used to be kind of a sense of this is beyond the pale. And he's like, no, we can, we can just sort of gut our way through this. We can stonewall this to the end, which we see. And then after all of that goes by, he's selected on the 1976 presidential ticket. And he sort of, in, does he invent the role of hatchet man? Is that a Bob Dole thing? Did we, did we see it at quite that level previous to him? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't want to definitively say that he invented it. Um, Richard because, Nixon did pretty well with Eisenhower in the 50s, I guess. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, so I don't want to quite say that he invented it, but certainly he was very effective at that, right? It's just being the troll, you know? And, and that's a lot of what he did uh, on that ticket in 76. And I think the other piece of this, speaking of kind of um, liberal nostalgia for Republicans, is that people forget that Gerald Ford is a deeply conservative man. Uh, and it was really, you know, whereas in the early 70s, Nixon would sign legislation, domestic legislation that expands environmental, uh, you know, environmentalism and, and other domestic programs, um, mostly because he just didn't care. Ford is vetoing all of this, right? And so, you know, Ford and Dole made a lot of sense in 70, in 76, uh, when Ford's running for a full term, because they both really share very conservative values. Um, they're both small town Midwesterners. Uh, and, you know, Dole serving as that hatchet man um, is is a perfect role for him. Right. And there's this famous moment in the vice presidential debate against Walter Mondale, uh, where he talks about how, you know, he opposes, quote, Democrat wars. Now, first, remember that this insult about talking about the Democratic Party is the Democrat Party is something we associate with the contemporary Republican Party and the kind of trolling that goes on on the right. But like Bob Dole's talking in this way in 76. And also noting, he's talking about all these wars in the 20th century being Democrat wars. He's making World War II a partisan issue, right? The war he himself nearly died in, right? And as you point out earlier, I mean, his recovery from those injuries is really incredible. he, he tries to turn that into a partisan effort as well as Vietnam, uh, which of course his own you know, good buddy Richard Nixon was more than happy to you know, bomb Laos and Cambodia illegally. Uh, but you know, he, he's cynically uh, engaging in the kind of politics that, that we see today. And I, and I think that the broader important point here uh, in comparing somebody like Dole to a Trump and comparing these different time periods is that Donald Trump is, there's like 20% of Donald Trump that is unique, particularly the, the, the vulgar personal style. But all the policies, all the judge appointments, all of the bills that he wanted to sign, all of the kind of trolling of, of the Democratic Party, that, had, that groundwork had been laid for decades by people like Ronald Reagan, people like Lee Atwater, and also people like Bob Dole. And so we're, I think we're going to see this repeatedly, that everything we see today, uh, except maybe the personal values or lack thereof Donald Trump, is something that, that Bob Dole was involved with. I think this is why your article, really, if, 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 if people are listening to this, I, I mean, by definition, I, I, I think that people who listen to this podcast like politics and they're into politics. I, I would urge you to read Eric's article for, for this reason alone, is that it's chock full of these little nuggets that I think astute political observers will notice. Uh, that moment of Democrat wars smacked me in the face because I really thought that that was a Karl Rove thing from the 2000s, the invention of Democrat. And at the time, I mean, if people remember this, there were all these Republican ads that were punching the crat or the rat. There was even one that, remember, George W. Bush was accused of he couldn't get the word subliminal out of subliminal advertising because he had an ad that punched the rat in Democrat. So it's like, we thought that that whole thing had emerged. No, Bob Dole invented that 
a quarter century beforehand, it, it sort of blew my mind. And I, again, this idea of all these wars, including World War II, were Democrat wars. You, you could almost picture Donald Trump's voice saying a line like that. And it, and it just flows. It just kind of comes out naturally. So, all right. So we've made it to the mid seventies here and already Bob Dole is, he's, he's kind of a complicated figure. And then things kind of, things kind of go, I don't know, a little sideways. You point out that the media seemed to want to turn him into a moderate in the years after that. What was going on with that? Yeah, you know, we're entering the period here, I think by the late 70s, I mean, you know, in which we see another um, another trend that we very much see today. I mean, I think a lot of us have been really angry, for instance, in the last couple of weeks, or really this whole administration, about the way the media is treating uh, Kamala Harris, right? I mean, you see these ridiculous stories about her earbuds or whatever, right? These really unfair stories uh, to about Democrats. And, and that was already very much starting in the Carter administration, uh, where you saw a lot of um, media figures in D.C. just really dismiss Carter, dislike him, think he's a yokel from Georgia. Uh, and and this kind of beltway world of talking about uh, Republican and, and Democratic politicians differently was already developing, right? The kind of, and I think it's a lot of this sort of nostalgia today is that the media has gone to significant lengths over the decades, really since the 70s, to turn some pretty conservative Republicans into quite mainstream and respectable figures. And I think in part, it's because these are largely wealthy people who like low taxes. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and somebody like Dole, who definitely was, you know, for instance, Dole is a, a huge proponent of a balanced budget amendment. That was like his core political belief. Um, it, it really appeals to that kind of elite media class. And so, you know, you, you have to s- sort of take these quite conservative figures uh, and turn them into somebody who's respectable, who could be that person that you can get behind as as a media figure against, you know, these liberals who are trying to give money to welfare and, you know, not prosecute people for drugs or, or whatever the politics are of the day. Uh, and Dole certainly is 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 that figure. Um, he's not the only one. Um, you know, John Connolly of Texas uh, was another example. Um, Rick Perlstein's great uh, uh, Reaganland book that came out uh, earlier this year, maybe it was last year, uh, gets into this in a lot of detail, the way the media creates this figure out of Connolly. Well, Dole's part of that too. Uh, you know, people saw Dole as presidential timber, uh, and it, by which I mean in the media. And so they kind of started portraying him as uh, engaging in a transformation that he did not in fact engage in from hardline conservative to mainstream Republican, I think in part to create a a sense of respectability around him because they saw him as presidential. Well, that's, that is such a fascinating point. We can do a whole show on what you just said and kind of the media's need to, I I mean, it seems like equal parts, uh, sort of a, they want to show a certain amount of fair and balancedness in, in treating Republican politicians in a certain way. And also it's like, it's like, Marlowe in the wire saying you want things to be a certain way and they're just not going to be that way and that's that's essentially what the media is doing they want things to be a certain way they almost want to will some of these figures to be a certain way and so now in this 
discussion, we are beginning to get up into that period where he really starts to break onto, at least Americans who are alive today, the, the, the radar screen of the general public. Obviously, he was already high profile in the 1970s, chair of the Republican National Committee, vice presidential nominee. But now, as we get into the 80s, he ascends the political ladder. He is a, a leader in the Senate, and he's really positioning himself as a presidential nominee. So you were saying a moment ago that the media starts a project to project onto him an image of, oh, he's beginning to move. He's beginning to moderate. He's kind of learned some lessons from previous political battles. You point out in your article on the editorial board that his actual policy positions really were not moving. He was very hawkish on foreign policy, as hawkish as more notable foreign policy figures of the time like Jesse Helms, also notable for some other not particularly great things. Uh, and generally on, on economic policy, on budgets, he was still extremely conservative. Yeah, Dole, Dole's, again, Dole's big thing was the budget, uh, balanced budget amendment. And, uh, you know, this kind of obsession with balanced budgets is something that you also saw from Gerald Ford. Um, I mean, again, they both have these like very small town Midwestern values. And, and you know, th this idea that the government should balance its budget like, uh, you know, like I have to, you know, at, at home, it, it makes no sense, right? It's, a, it's almost a childish vision of, of the way in which, uh, you know, global, a globalized capitalist system works, right? It's, it's so simplistic uh, that it, it, you're almost like, why would a serious politician actually believe this in this form? And, and to some extent, it's about cutting social programs that Bob Dole didn't like, right? Bob Dole, you know, he does not like environmentalism. Bob Dole does not like labor. Bob Dole does not like consumer protections. You know, and the government had grown significantly in the 60s and 70s uh, in part to provide a lot more of this. Um, you know, with the creation of the EPA and OSHA and, you know, all sorts of other uh, agencies. And so to a certain extent, there's a kind of cynicism here where you can go in and say, in a way that's sort of going to appeal to people who don't understand the way that, you know, government finances itself and, and to be fair right that's that's a complicated thing that's most of us yeah no exactly right i mean you know i'm not claiming that i'm an expert on all of this either right so it, it, there, there's a political appeal to just simply saying you have to balance your checkbook so should the government right you know right, right. but but it's also a kind of uh you know way to uh, really undermine the 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 state that had developed in the 60s and 70s that made us a lot safer, cleaner, healthier, and these sorts of things that we still benefit from today. Bob Dole opposes all of it. Now, you point out, and I think in a very fair way in your article, that Bob Dole did have an accomplishment. Boy, we keep saying Bob Dole like we're a Norm MacDonald parody of Bob Dole, saying Bob Dole and referring to himself in the third person. I can't get that out of my head. You point out that he did have what you call an unvarnished good as an accomplishment in his career, which was the Americans with Disabilities Act. And you are unsparing in your praise of that accomplishment, which is a real thing that has meant almost an unspeakable amount to so many millions of Americans. You do point out, though, that he sort of circumscribes his ability to empathize with Americans in a difficult situation, the limits seem to be only things that 
that resonate with his own experience, not with people with other experiences. I'm not suggesting that your article is like a Harry Potter, Rita Skeeter treatment of, but was it? I, I mean, it's, it's, it, I just think it's an unblinking look at, look, there are some really good things, but here are some things that a genuinely moderate and empathetic politician might have also extended himself to accomplish. So what did you, what, what were you pointing at with that? Well, Bob Dole did not have empathy for other people. I mean, I mean, that sounds harsh, but it, it's true. Bob, empathy was not something that was a value of Bob Dole. And, and you often see this in the conservative movement today, where, you know, if a particular social program affects me and I benefit from it, as Bob Dole would do with the ADA, right? Because he had personally been wounded, lost use of a hand, you know, had gone through all of this recovery from World War II. And, you know, so he can personally relate to the major issues that disabled people have. Then he'll support that program. But then there's this block to be able to say, wow, the government could do this for me or for my family, Maybe there's a lesson there that the government can do other things to help other people who are also struggling. And Bob Dole's unable to do that. He can't move past that. So, you know, sure, the government can you know, invest a lot of money into uh, accessibility uh, for disabled people because that's something that Dole could personally relate to. But does he then build on that to say, well, the government should also protect us from pollution? The government should also get involved to make sure that children are having a healthy breakfast and lunch. No, <laughs> he doesn't do that. And so there's just a lack of empathy. And we see this over and over again with the kind of singular social program that a certain conservatives will support. Uh, you know, I was, this is a, an anecdote, but the perfect example of this, I was once sitting in the, the uh, session of the Montana state legislature where this very conservative Republican got up and said, I believe that the government usually is a waste of time, but this one program that it funds that helped my grandson through rehab is a really great program and we should fund it. And I'm like, that is Bob Dole in a heartbeat. Wow. That is, well, that, that does capture something. I'll, you know, I'll tell you, I had another moment in reading your article that just kind of like snapped me to attention because it, I don't know if Bob Dole invented this or if he was just ahead of his time. But I had completely forgotten that his nickname was Dr. Gridlock when he was the Senate Majority Leader. Just not something that had broken in on. I was in college in the early 90s. So like, you know, I can't be expected, I guess, at that time to completely follow the national news. But that just had not registered with me. And again, I think the impression for most people who have kind of come of age politically slightly later than that is that, well, maybe this is sort of a Mitch McConnell or even a Trent Lott type Republican leader type thing. Uh, obviously, Mitch McConnell famous for saying that his only objective was to make Barack Obama a one-term president. He wanted to be against everything, to starve Obama of accomplishments so that he could run against him as ineffective. I, okay, I thought that that was something that McConnell innovated, but no, that was a Bob Dole thing and he was totally proud of it. Yeah, I mean, give Mitch McConnell credit, I guess that that's what you want to call it. Um, in that he sort of perfected the strategy that Bob Dole had started, right? That, that, you know, Mitch McConnell understood and actually will say publicly what he knows about 
the way American politics work, which is that people don't really pay attention to the Senate, that, you know, if he can put in enough gridlock that, uh, you know, people will take it out on on the president. Um, and and he's been, you know, nobody cares about the court, so he can go full bore on that, right? He understands that, but he learned it from Bob Dole, right? Before Dole, it was Senate Majority Leader, you know, the, the world of American politics is more bipartisan, right? And to some extent, that's because the parties were not as starkly divided as they are today, right? You know, so it's a different context. But but it's really is Bob Dole, along with Newt Gingrich in the House, that creates the modern era of congressional extremism uh, that uses all tools available to attack any Democrat who's in power. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and that is Bob Dole's legacy, right? He's known as Dr. Gridlock for a reason, because he started the strategy that we know of as Mitch McConnell's strategy today. When Bob Dole was nominated, I keep doing it. I keep calling him Bob Dole. <laughs> when it's like, it's like almost one syllable. When he was nominated as the Republican presidential candidate um, in 1996, he famously, in his convention speech, said, and I'm sure someone else wrote this for him, but it did seem to capture a genuine sentiment on his part. He said, let me be the bridge to an America that only the unknowing call myth. Let me be the bridge to a time of tranquility, faith, and confidence in action. And of course, it was the, the summation of all of it was him being a bridge to the past. So there are two things that kind of spring to mind out of that. One is he handed Bill Clinton the perfect campaign line that he wanted to be a bridge to the future that Bill Clinton then flogged to death, but very successfully for the rest of his campaign. But once again, I have to press the, the question of, was Bob Dole incredibly ahead of his time and anticipating the Donald Trump playbook? Isn't this just a more eloquent version of Make America Great Again? Well, yes. Um, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, Reagan had used, I mean, Reagan used Make America Great Again uh, as one of his taglines, right? So Dole doesn't invent, I mean, uh, Trump doesn't really invent any of this. And, and I think that the modern conservative movement, uh, by which I mean really, really goes back to the 1970s, is an extremely nostalgic movement. And that nostalgia, and I, I, know I would posit that nostalgia is a profoundly reactionary emotion, no matter how it is, is portrayed. Um, that it, it, it really like, you know, it, it creates a world in which, you know, there's no draft dodging, pot smoking, hippie in the White House like Bill Clinton. It, it's a world in which, you know, men served in World War II proudly and there wasn't this abortion and there wasn't this, you know, gay movement and all of these sorts of, of social movements that make a lot of white conservatives very uncomfortable. And, you know, and, and this is a moment as well, the, the mid-90s, that is a deeply nostalgic moment in American life. This is the moment in which the World War II generation is beginning to pass from the scene when Tom Brokaw writes that ridiculous book, The Greatest Generation, which from a historian's perspective is utter nonsense. I mean, it just doesn't make sense at all. How can you call any generation the greatest? I mean, yes, they went through the Great Depression and fought through World War II. I mean, they had some bad cards, but I think that any generation responds to issues more or less the same way. Um, 
And, you know, it was a lot of baby boomers who kind of looked at their lives as they're entering into middle age and see themselves as lesser than their parents. So this is not the first time in American history we, we've seen this kind of nostalgia for a, a previous generation. And that's what Bob Dole's aiming at, right? He's aiming directly at nostalgia, but people may like nostalgia at a certain level, but they also want a path forward. And, and Bob Dole didn't even have a message for the path forward. He didn't even have a message about why he should be president. Right? It was just that it's my turn and I'm, I'm competent. I want to actually ask you about that point. I do want to also turn to how he made this kind of transition to sort of genial image. But, but before we get there, in terms of not having a vision, you raise kind of an interesting point in terms of historical analogy. For any fans of history, especially presidential and political history, and readers of the Robert Caro series on LBJ, what you find emerging is you could equally say of LBJ, sort of the summation that you apply to Bob Dole. LBJ was profoundly not a nice man. He was in many ways a horrible, horrible man. But what Robert Caro comes back to over and over again in his books and in interviews is his idea, I think it's an original idea from him, that it's often said that power corrupts. And he says, no, no, no. Power doesn't corrupt, power reveals. And he goes to great lengths to show that LBJ, when he achieved power, revealed himself as profoundly wanting to do something positive with it, witness the determination to pass the Civil Rights Act, not just of 1957, but then of course, 1964. And so by contrast, you can look at a figure like Mitch McConnell and his absolute utter lack of any policy agenda and his his just total dedication to power for its own sake. And so what where do you come down as you evaluate Bob Dole? I mean, clearly he was, you show, I think convincingly, he was not a nice man, but one can be not a nice person not an empathetic person, actually a pretty terrible person, and yet an effective political leader who gets positive things done, does he, in addition to not being a nice man, actually have some kind of a coherent vision, even if it's a, a limited, non-empathetic one? Does he, have a, does he have a political agenda that makes some kind of internal sense? Or is he much more of a McConnell figure? I would say he sort of splits the difference. I mean, I think that's a very good point that you make. I mean, I don't honestly care if a politician's nice or not. Like, I, I only care what they do, you know. Um, and I think Caro's right about power revealing. Um, but, I mean, Dole, Dole is not as cynical as McConnell, right? McConnell is is just like the, you know, the distilled version of, of you know, 150 proof cynicism. Um, that's not Dole, but Dole doesn't have much of a political vision either. Like he, he'll pretty openly say, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, 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 a famous, you know, a couple of famous quotes here, uh, you know, but he tells the Republican national convention quote, I'm willing to be another Ronald Reagan, if that's what you want. Like there's, you know, and then he goes on and says that, uh, you know, he had become an extremist uh, in the 96 primaries because that's what he needs to do to win. Um, so there's no clearly ever any clearly articulated vision. I mean, I think that to the extent that there is one, 
it's that of the small town Midwestern conservative, right? It's the vision of Gerald Ford. It's the vision that government should be limited, um, that we should be aggressive with foreign policy, that we should not have these kind of domestic programs. It's a pretty standard kind of Republican vision. So I, I would say he sort of splits the difference. There's not a bigger vision there um, at all, but he's not purely cynical like McConnell. I see. He, he has a political ideology, even if he's kind of chameleon-like. And by the way, that assessment of Mitch McConnell, which clearly you and I share, isn't original to me. It actually comes from House Budget Chairman John Yarmuth in his recent appearance on this show on Beyond Politics, where he said that, and I, I urge people to go back into the podcast, listen to that interview with John Yarmuth. Uh, Chairman Yarmuth used to be a Republican. He's known Mitch McConnell for 40 years. No one, I think, on the Democratic side knows him better. And he's like, this is a man who is devoid of, of any political goals except for power for its own sake. Let me ask about the other point you were making a moment ago about that transition in the public mind that Dole made after his failed presidential campaign. Clearly, he does develop something of a, I think, as I put it earlier, genial, um, softer, more vulnerable reputation in the public mind. Some factors in that could be the Tom Brokaw, Greatest Generation, Saving Private Ryan, World War II Memorial push with which Bob Dole was associated. It could have been his vulnerability. I mean, he was a paid pitch man for Viagra, but look, he was he was willing to go on TV and talk about erectile dysfunction, which is not something that prominent figures in public life had previously been willing to do. And he made late night appearances where he, he kind of cracked jokes about himself. What to what do you ascribe this this transition and how he was viewed by the public? You know, sometimes the end of a political career can be somewhat freeing for an individual um, that there's this pressure to be this, you know, intense, hardcore individual that is always pushing politics and it, it can kind of overwhelm uh, the personality at times. Um, and I think that's probably the case with Dole that, you know, his, his grumpiness, first of all, it was, you know, outside of the policies that he might've been advocating for was kind of funny. You know, I mean, the way he referred himself in the third person, the the snappiness of him. I know there's a potential for comedy there. Um, you know, but it's not the only time you've seen this. You know, the the extreme right wing conservative senator Robert Taft, uh, who uh, it, it has a pretty awful legacy in the mid 20th century. When he realized in 1952 that he would never be president, when Eisenhower was nominated by the Republican Party. He quite notably softened as, a, as an individual and even on some of his policies. And you saw a similar transition with Al Gore, who, you know, after the election was stolen from him in 2000, it kind of just entered public, uh, private life. And by all accounts, was sort of relieved to be to have this pressure that had existed with inside of him from the time he was a child, because his father was a, a famous senator, Al Gore Sr., uh, to be successful. And, and I think that sometimes... Uh, there's a sense of relief um, when you realize your political career is over and you can, you know, become a little bit more of yourself, which might be some self-deprecating humor uh, in the case of Bob Dole and, and a kind of willingness to have fun. And, and so, you know, I think you saw a little bit of that uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s. 
Well, it, it certainly, I mean, that brings to, to mind sort of the Al Gore. He, 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 they followed the same trajectory. Honestly, they'd appear on TV shows, The Simpsons. And it didn't hurt that. I, I honestly think, I mean, first of all, you know, the fact that he outlived Norm MacDonald is, is sort of a, a little mind-blowing in itself. But I think the Norm MacDonald impersonation helped him because he was so ludicrous and it was sort of, it was so, so easy to caricature. And then it kind of laid the, the foundation for Bob Dole to come in and be in on the whole Bob Dole joke. And so I, I, I guess that kind of thing is, it's softening and it's, it's, it's sort of relatable to, to use an overused word. So what do you ultimately think is sort of the, the legacy and the meaning of the political career of Bob Dole. How should we be thinking of him and his role in American politics now in, in the wake of his passing? Bob Dole ended his life as the really the only surviving member of the GOP elite who loved Donald Trump, right? McCain personally hated the man uh, and perhaps saved the ACA because he hated Donald Trump so much, uh, which is a very McCain move. You know, I have no love lost for the Bush family, but they notably do not support Donald Trump, neither Bush Sr. when he was alive, nor George W. Bush. Bob Dole, no. Bob Dole loved Donald Trump. Bob Dole was a huge Trump supporter from the very beginning. Uh, he, you know, claimed that, that Trump would cut deals with Congress uh, when the Access Hollywood tape came out uh, that, of course, Trump, you know, is famous basically bragging about sexual assault, Bob Dole, somebody asked Dole about it. And if in the classic Dole response, he says, the Clintons aren't pure either. If you could just imagine Bob Dole saying that in his Bob Dole voice. Uh, and and that's, that is actually Bob Dole's legacy, right? It is a ground layer for Donald Trump. It's providing a template that people like McConnell and Trump and Ted Cruz and other people people today that we see as destroying American democracy, he's laying the groundwork for their style of politics. That doesn't necessarily mean that Bob Dole wanted to destroy American democracy. At the very end of his life, he's uncomfortable with the coup attempt on January 6th, but it doesn't mean he turned really turned away from Trump, but he was a little uncomfortable with that. So there may have been a limit there, but we have to look at Bob Dole's career as something that led up to Donald Trump and that he embraced in the last years of his life. Well, that's a really interesting thought as well. I mean, especially as a contrast to a figure like a Colin Powell, who was able to show some contrition and some regret for some of his stumbles and, you know, really did try to, to stand against Trumpism pretty hard you know, or a, a George H. Walker Bush or or even a W, even a W. I mean, it does seem like there is a little bit of a line there and Dole never really got there. And so he leaves kind of this, he leaves kind of this, this complicated legacy. And I, again, I understand the impulse because I feel it too, to look back to an earlier time and ascribe to him some of the things that I miss from an earlier era of politics. But I just, I want to thank you for writing this article and for really opening up a, a, a more nuanced view of this very important figure in American politics. 
you know, and I just think we have to be honest about how we got here, because as I said earlier, you know, Donald Trump, it's like 20% of it was Donald Trump, but the other 80% of it was the Republican Party as it has developed for half a century, and Bob Dole was at the center of all of that. Thank you so much for being on Beyond Politics. <laughs>